0: Alright students, welcome back to Lecture 13, Introduction to Homer's Odyssey, books 18 and 19, slides 246 to 277. Today, let's remember where we were. Odysseus, in the form of Arnias the beggar, had just found another beggar at the threshold to his own home, and the suitors had set up sort of a gleeful, terrible, ignoble combat between these two beggars, uh, during which Odysseus had a chance to show off his big thighs and shoulders, which caused uh, great fear and shivering in... Uh poor Eros, also called arnios Eros, of course, because uh he is named for Iris, the messenger goddess, because he sends messages between the suitors, but that is the uh the male form of the name rather than the female form that Iris has. In any case, Odysseus had a chance to fight against him, slugged him in the jaw where the neck meets the jawbone, seems to have broken his jaw. Blood is uh he's drooling blood, Eros is, and he gets dragged outside, and that's where we pick up today. Odysseus takes eros outside and leaves him there warning him not to try to be king of the strangers and beggars there's only one king around and that king is odysseus and he's taking back what's his even from the beggars the suitors then toast him and i always think that this is a fantastic bit because what is it that they say in his toast they wish him well they wish him to receive something but what is it that they wish him to have they say May the gods grant you whatever you want most of all. Well, that's sort of a funny thing to wish to uh, Odysseus here because what he wants most of all is to kill them and to end their lives and thus their occupation of his home and their poor treatment of his serving women, his wife, his son, who they're actually attempting to kill, um, and his land itself. Even his swineherd is to some extent being mistreated by having to work more to uh, help these... uh, these insolent enemies you might say these uh these interlopers i think that's actually a pretty good word for the interlopers in any case the suitors unknowingly toast to their own destruction may you have whatever you wish and odysseus thinks i certainly will be having that very soon at your expense so infinimus he then wishes odysseus help and is a very interesting character in uh in this part of the story for several reasons um Before I get into exactly what happens here, there are maybe two or three things I should say about Amphetimus. Amphetimus is the one uh, seemingly kind suitor. He seems to be sort of genteel. He seems to know something of the Zinnia, though obviously as a suitor, he is not honoring the Zinnia quite correctly. There is a story outside of Homer that Penelope, uh, there are two stories about Penelope that suggest that she was not perfectly chaste, that she did cheat. Uh, once or twice there are two separate stories and in one of those stories it is with Eurymachus that she cheats but in another it is amphinomus perhaps precisely because he is so kind something interesting though about him is that you notice this language here o- Odysseus gives him a speech and talks about the helplessness of man and says there is nothing more helpless in all the world than man in lines uh, 125 to 1. Fifty And uh, from the, the descriptions we've heard of how, uh, or, or Odysseus' lying descriptions of where he's been from Crete and uh, subject to storms, and the stories that we heard in the Iliad of Heracles being subject to storms, and the times we've seen people subject to storms. Uh, remember that um, uh, it was precisely in a storm that Aesolester died. It was in a storm that Menelaus was sent off to Egypt, which kept him from being able to help his father Agamemnon. And then even uh, remember that Eumaeus, as a young person, not involving a storm here, but was stolen away by a, uh, a servant woman. People people are not in full control of their lives, and perhaps even you uh, interpret Helen in that way. Perhaps you, you uh, do not blame her for the Trojan War because perhaps it was Aphrodite that made her love. Perhaps it was uh, um, Paris that forced her uh, to leave with him. Not usually how the story goes. But perhaps, in any case, it does seem like man is not all powerful in any way. That we are all subject to many different things. The environment we find ourselves in. The people around us. The things that happen, mostly, we do not make happen. And uh, this will be a good example of that. Because Infinimus hears this. And um, Odysseus counsels him. You probably shouldn't stay around here. And yet, the language, as I said, is very interesting. Athena binds him. If you are an Old Testament scholar, you've ever read the old story of uh, Moses, let my people go to Pharaoh. There's very similar language, though, of course, in Hebrew, not in ancient Greek, where it says that uh, God twice hardens the heart of Pharaoh. And how to interpret that, I think, is a very interesting question. Is it the fact that Athena literally makes it so that this man cannot choose, uh, cannot make a better choice? Or or is this uh, sort of Uh, a symbol like he is making an unwise choice and therefore he is acting against uh what Athena would have him do if he were doing the most intelligent possible thing in any case he will be the first person who gets killed by Telemachus as he charges towards Odysseus he will get a spear in the back and so I guess there are many things that he does not see coming at him in any case there's another picture of Odysseus, Odysseus crushing Eros again big thigh uh, that's what he's known for, at least according to, uh, Eros. And then, we have something happen that has not, uh, happened before, supposedly. We have seen Penelope address the suitors, but she decides to publicly address the suitors of her own volition, not because, well, it's hard to say ex- exactly why, uh, uh, unless we read it right here, so let's do that. But now the goddess, grey-eyed Athena, put in the mind of Dot the daughter of Icario, circumspect Penelope to show herself to the suitors so that she might all the more open their hearts and so that she might seem all the more precious in the eyes of her husband and son even than she had been before this. So Athena puts an idea in her head that she wants to go down looking very elegant in front of the suitors so that they uh, uh, desire her even more and will give her more gifts and it will just so happen to be the fact that Telemachus will be down there and her husband, though she doesn't know it which perhaps will motivate her husband to fight even harder because he's like, whoa, my wife is rather fetching, rather beautiful. I could kill 108 suitors for her. So Penelope comes down. Uh, Before uh, she comes down, however, uh, remember what she's doing most of the time. Most of the time she's not weaving. She's in a room and she's weeping. And when you weep, if you happen to be somebody who paints your face or wears makeup, your makeup gets everywhere. And then you're sort of a mess. And so her uh, attending lady, your enemy, uh, says, "Uh, you could go down and see the suitors, but you should probably take a bath first. And uh, we recall that this is a major motif throughout the Odyssey. When you want to present yourself to people, you want to present your best self to people. And so often after you have cleaned yourself up, you look your best. Recall that this was literally the case with Odysseus in front of Nausicaa. He came out of a bush after living on uh, or living on the ocean for about 20 days and looked like a wild uh, monster man that made people made young women literally run away from him and scream uh, in terror. But after a bath, all of a sudden he's taller, thicker, curlier in his hair. And uh, Nausicaa even thought of him as a potential mate, as a potential husband. And so there's a great interplay here between our perceptions. Sometimes Odysseus Looks like a monster. Sometimes Odysseus looks like a beggar. Sometimes he can be very beautiful. It seems to be similar with Penelope. There's a time and a place to look in a certain way. In any case, Athena then puts her to sleep for a small time, makes her taller, thicker, and paler, not curlier here. Of course, this was the idea back then, that um, the paler you were, the less you had to work outside, the nobler you were in terms of blood and rank. Uh, This is why Hera is described as Hera of the white arms. White-armed Hera. The suitor's knees buckle when she descends with desire for penalty. I can only imagine. I mean, this is very much like one of those high school movies where, like, there's a young lady, and maybe she's got a lot to her, but she hasn't normally dressed really well or done the makeup thing. And then she meets a friend, and they do a makeover, and then she's coming down the stairs for the first time, and the guy that she likes who's never paid attention to her is like, whoa, whoa that she like touches her hair she's moving in slow motion and she's like and the guys are like what is that becky or something like that in any case the suitor's knees buckle with desire for penelope the stratagem works quick review we don't really need that in any case odysseus then goes to telemachus and says you need to store away the weapons from the great hall where the suitors corrupt. Why? Well, uh, they're about to use the Great Hall as a slaughtering room. They're going to bar both the doors, and Odysseus is going to get access to a weapon. It will be a bow and arrow. And then they are going to uh fortify a position at one end of the Great Hall, and they are going to rain uh, uh Hades onto those those men who are defenseless, armless. Uh so what Telemachus needs to do to make sure that this actually happens, because several Pieces need to uh, be moved correctly. Is he needs to get the weapons that are on the walls of the great hall? Things like spears, shields, swords, off the walls of the great hall, and he has to come up with a pretense for this. Obviously, he can't be honest. He can't say, "I need to move." Uh, the su-. When the suitors see him taking the weapons off the wall, they'll probably say, "Why? Why are you doing this?" And he can't say, "Well, because we're soon going to attempt to kill you, and we don't even have any weapons." So that's a lie, and. We haven't seen Telemachus put forward a lot of lies yet. We've seen Odysseus, and we've seen Telemachus compared to Odysseus favorably by both Nestor and Menelaus, and even by uh, Helen. But here's his first chance to really act like his father. And, well, you know, he has in several other ways, too. He's showed an adventurous temperament. He went to Pylos, and he went to sparta he showed that he uh, understood the xenia. even when he went by Pylos. he knew that he was doing something that would upset somebody but he knew that he had something more important to do which was to save his home we've seen him endure the insults that his father has been uh having to endure uh he has not stepped up and defended his father even though he has said you know if you suitors continue to act in this way or harm him i will uh, run you through with a spear in any case Um, Telemachus says, well, there are a couple reasons why I'm going to move these weapons. One is this, the smoke from the fires, it's starting to, it's starting to dull the blades. They're getting unclean, and uh, we want to keep them nice and pristine. Second reason is, you guys, you drink a lot. And when you drink, sometimes you get into conflicts. If you get into a conflict, you might want to grab a weapon. Then you might do something unthinkable, like stab your friend, just because you got upset at them and were drunk. We have seen that sort of thing happen. Uh, Polyphemus got drunk, lost an eye. Um, Elpinor got drunk, lost his life, broke his neck. And so uh, there is some reasonableness behind what uh, Telemachus is saying. In any case, the, uh, the suitors accept his story. And some divinity, he says, might make you fight with them while drinking wine. And So then the second part of the strategy goes into effect. First, we have to get rid of the weapons of the suitors. Second, we have to trap them. And so who does he trust to make sure that the doors get barred on both sides? He trusts Eurycleia, the most trustworthy of the serving maids. And so he says, you need to keep the women inside the house, but away from uh, the great hall, no matter what you hear. And what they'll be hearing are things like, oh, my Zeus, my arm, oh, my spleen, oh, ah! She's just supposed to be like, oh, they're just having a good time in there. Don't worry about it. This is, a, this is what they do, I suppose. In any case, he also says something very interesting. You recall our, our theme of buildings, Roman, of going from being, or character development, of going from being a boy to a man. We've been talking about whether Telemachus is an adult yet or still a kid. Well, when he commands Eurycleia to keep the serving women out of the great hall and in the house and to bar the doors, he says... I was a child before, which suggests that he is now a man, or a reptile man. Probably a man, though, because there's no evidence in the text that he's a reptile. All right, Eurcleo obe- obeys, bars the doors, and then Odysseus and Telemachus hide the weapons. And while they're doing this kind of an interesting thing, uh, some light appears out of nowhere. Athena illuminates their way, and Telemachus actually brings this up to Odysseus. He's like, what's going on here? Is this some trick of the gods? And Odysseus essentially says, shh. Uh, he hushes him and says, do not ask questions for this is the very way of the gods. He says, don't worry, you know, if something's going well for us right now, don't ask questions, just accept it and keep moving. Because obviously uh, Odysseus knows that if they're going to defeat the suitors, they're going to need the help of Athena, which she has actually promised to him. So it's time for Telemachus to go to bed. But it is not yet time for Odysseus to go to bed because remember, he set up a date tonight. He is supposed to go to bed see Penelope. Or rather, she's going to come see him. And, uh, well, let's get there. Penelope descends the stairs. I just want you to take a second. Don't even write for three seconds. and Just imagine the person you have been waiting to see for about 20 years. You've you've already seen her once, but now she's coming to see you. She looks at you. Maybe he looks at you, depending on how you want to imagine it. And you're going to sit right in front of this person. Can you imagine the tension that you would feel? And, not only that, you can't be honest with this person. You have to trick this person. So you have to, in front of this person, tell some uh, very tricky tales. And this person is supposedly someone who would know you fairly well. Physically, mentally, and somebody uh, whose intelligence you respect. This is not just Eumaeus that he's lying to. This is not just some uh, Phaechaeans he's telling the story to. This is his wife who is known for being both beautiful, but also circumspect, which means highly intelligent. Recall that Antinous said, no woman in all of Argos has the mind that Penelope has. And, I mean, that includes Helen, who we know to be a very, very sharp uh, blade, um, a way to describe her intellect. Well, let's see what happens here. <clears throat> As her seat is set next to the fire, the servants clean up the goblets and food and ash left over. It's a mess, because of those suitors. They don't clean up after themselves typical bad zinnia if you're a guest at a home i'm sure your parents have said whenever you're fed you offer to do what clean up and do the dishes yes you don't cook you have to offer to do the dishes it will make people happy to cook for you again which is a very important thing especially if they're good cooks and if you're not like mr schmidt in any case while odysseus is sitting around there One of the serving maids shows up. One of the ones that we do not like. Her name is Melantho. And you're like, Melantho? Is that a misspelling of Melanthios? And I say, no. But they are siblings. They are both children of Dolios, who is a servant of Laertes, who we'll actually see a little bit later. But Melanthios and Melantho, apparently, uh, they got more of their mom than their dad in them. And uh, Melantho, she scolds Odysseus. She's like, beggar? What are you doing still around here? Trying to get some scraps? Drink? Are you drunk? right now <laughs> why are you here when odysseus very upset with her do you mean to stay here all night he says why do you why do you judge me so so poorly of me? is it is it my poor fortune the fact that i'm a beggar is it because i'm so ugly my poor looks why are you so unkind to me obviously your lord or rather your lady in this case has ordered me to be here and you are in a way going against her will it, it is not your place to be scolding me, just like it was not Melanthios' place to scold Eumaeus and keep a stranger from Odysseus' home. These people are acting like they're the boss when they are servants, and in this time, actually slaves. They are not acting right. There will be a punishment for that sort of thing. In any case, he warns her. He says, perhaps you feel very arrogant now because you're young and you're beautiful, uh, but I too was once young and promising and beautiful seems sort of unlikely looking at him in those moments but he says that and he says perhaps someday your mistress and fortune will turn on you well Penelope actually happens to hear this exchange and she's fairly astonished and she admonishes Melantho she says she knows well why the beggar is still there and uh, just another uh, um, piece of the puzzle to explain why Melantho might be acting like this is uh, Melantho happens to be the lover of Eurymachus And so perhaps she thinks she has stepped above her station. Perhaps she thinks she'll be married to this lordly man at some point. I'll give you a hint. Neither of them will be alive the day after the next. Um, uh, For slightly different reasons, too. uh, And they'll have very different deaths. Um, But yes, uh, again, this hubris, this thinking that they have something that they don't is something that they share. Perhaps that's the root of their attraction. In any case... Penelope then orders Eurynome to bring up a chair to Odysseus, and Odysseus and Penelope, like this picture displays, sit across from each other, and the interview begins. I always like this, this old woman in the background. Who do you think that is? A lot of people say Eurycleia. I don't think so. Probably not Eurycleia. Probably somebody who's on this slide. Anybody get it? Old lady servant. Put a chair. Not Melantha, She's young and beautiful. She's old and crone-like. Your enemy. Yes, your enemy. And then, I always think that this is sort of a sad, sad picture. Because, obviously, we've just met which dog who then died? Argos. I know. All too soon, he died. Like so many dogs, given their span of life compared to ours. But then there's that dog just sitting right there. And I always think that that's supposed to make us think of Argos. Even though, obviously, it can't be unless it's a ghost Argos. Um, Which, perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. In any case, the interview is about to begin you see how pale uh penelope is you see uh, the, i think odysseus should actually look older and uglier and dirtier here because he did just have fight after all um but you see how sort of tanned and uh, uh humble his his garments are it's just like a sheet essentially it's not very much at all and well let's see what they have to say to each other penelope opens she asks him a series of questions we recall that this is sort of the root of odysseus's strength Back in the Iliad in um, Book 10, during the Dolinnea, when he and Diomedes had caught Dolon, recall right after they caught Dolan and they put him at ease and said, put away your thoughts of death, it was questions that Odysseus asked him. Uh, where is Hector? What are his plans? Where are the contingent forces of the Trojans? Uh, do, they have, um, uh, do, they, do they have sentries hosted? Do they have walls are around them. Uh, where are they? Is anybody new to the battle? He finds out that the Thracians are. Well, Penelope is also very good at asking questions. You might also think about this. She has become quite used to asking these sorts of questions because many, many, many people have showed up and claimed to have information about Odysseus. So she gets right to the heart of the matter. She says, What man are you and whence? Which means where from. But you will see a lot of people write from whence. They don't need to. It's like saying from from where. Um, but yes, what man are you, and whence? Where is your city? Your your parents? And she'll even say you could not have been born from some fabulous oak or a boulder, the same way that Antinous had done that once. And uh, Odysseus is here immediately going to have to deflect because if you were going to be honest, he'd say, um, "I'm Odysseus from Ithaca here. <laughs> uh, Ithaca is my city. My parents are uh, Laertes, and anybody remember the name of his mom?" Anticlea, very good. Not Euryclea, very good. All right, and so Odysseus uh, tries to deflect. He doesn't answer immediately. Is this because he doesn't have a ready-made lie? Is it because it would be very difficult for him to lie to Penelope? Is it because he's nervous to lie to her because perhaps she will see through his lie into who he actually is? All of these thoughts could potentially be occurring to him in this moment. He says, ask me not who I am and where I am from because it will cause me too much suffering so i have here a couple questions is he playing with her because it, he obviously must tell her um but uh, i think it, it's just a very complicated situation in any case he then subtly prods her about the behavior of her maids and uh brings up how melantho has uh treated her uh, uh which is uh, again something very interesting to mention he is uh, a slave that is in front of a lady from whom he is receiving hospitality who is he to bring up anything even the smallest criticism of her household. Um, it's almost like it is Odysseus speaking through his character as a beggar here to remind his wife of how, uh, uh, how guests should be treated in her home even when she doesn't have full power over her home. Uh, in any case, they may accuse him of drunkenness. They accuse him of drunkenness several times, which I think is so interesting because we know what is the attribute of Odysseus that Athena loves him for so much? The fact that he always keeps his head. He's the opposite of somebody who acts drunkenly, like an Elpenor or like the suitors. Um, And yet he gets accused of it so often, which is so funny. In any case, Penelope explains her resourcefulness. And this, I always think, is so interesting. She's sitting down talking to this beggar. He has not yet given her any information. The whole reason, the whole premise behind their conversation is A, he got sort of mistreated in her house and had to fight against a beggar, and so she felt sort of a need to see him, but also, she heard from Eumaeus that he has information about Odysseus. That's the big reason that they're speaking right now. Uh, he has information to give to her. Why is she telling a story to him? What is she telling him? This is one of those moments where perhaps, if you think Penelope could be seen through the disguise and see that this is Odysseus, where you might find evidence for that perspective. Because she, she says, well, I... I'm no longer pretty. I lost all my looks when Odysseus left. That would be a very clever thing to say to your husband, uh, who has lost his looks, obviously, right in front of you, because remember, he's an ugly old beggar right now, not his normal uh, taller, thicker, curlier self. And then next, she says, she's had thoughts for no one but Odysseus. Okay, that's something I might say to my husband in disguise. And then she describes, and I find this so odd, her stratagem for keeping the suitors at bay. The weaving of the web for three years, which she would weave during the day. She said it was a shroud for Laertes to keep him comfort at night. She would unweave it at night. Why is she telling this stranger about her strategy for keeping the suitors away from herself? That's the sort of thing I might tell my husband for why I'm still chaste and uh, indicating that I'm so loyal to him and have not cheated on him. Not something I would probably tell to uh, just some random stranger who happens to be a beggar who has information about my husband, and yet she does this. It's very curious, very curious indeed. In case, in any case, she says the only reason that the stratagem eventually failed is that one of my faithless, serving women, probably Melanto, though I cannot guarantee that, betrayed her to the suitors, told them that what she was doing, and then they they have now demanded action on her part she's got to make a choice she's either uh she's got to choose one of these suitors and leave this home so that telemachus can become king of this home, or at least ruler of his own house even if he doesn't become king Uh, that's something we haven't talked about quite a bit it is uh monarchy at this time is not quite as set in stone as in like say the middle ages uh thinking about france germany and italy um it's mostly Whoever is most powerful and most wealthy in a land is the king of that land. And that has happened to be Odysseus. But his, uh, his wealth has been depleted quite a bit by the suitors. And so whether his son would be king after him is uh, highly suspect, is something uh, questionable. In any case. So now she's had to finish making this shroud from Laertes. The suitors are demanding a decision from her especially because telemachus is grown and then so she asks again about odysseus she's like okay well i happen to have given you a bunch of information but the whole reason we're here is uh who are you and uh uh you were not born from any fabulous oaks or boulder you must have a story you must be a person you must have a name and so odysseus begins his great life and it is very similar to the lie that he told to umias he claims to be from crete He claims to be the grandson of the first king of Crete, Minos, father of the Minotaur and brother to Radamanthus, great Minos who we will see down in the Inferno next year, judging the dead, uh, wrapping his his snake-like tail around a stone to indicate which circle of the Inferno that they go to. Minos is commonly considered a great judge. He was also the son of Zeus, and so Odysseus claims that his grandfather was Minos. And that his brother was Idominius. Remember Idominius who had Marianas, who was such a nasty piece of work in the Iliad? He was the guy who liked to stab people and watch them scream as they died? Uh, uh, well, yes. And remember also, sadly, Idominius was also the man who uh, made a promise to Poseidon that he would sacrifice the first living thing he saw upon returning to Crete, to Poseidon. That happened to be his son. And he kept that promise. And then Crete had a terrible plague because of that hurt family members, murder family members, often plague will come to you. Do something especially appropriate to the gods, plague comes to you. We'll call plague coming at the beginning of the Iliad. We'll actually see a very famous plague in um, the first play we read uh, in the next few weeks, actually, um, in Oedipus Tyrannus. The, the uh, conceit of the play, uh, the precipitating event, rather, will be that there is a plague, and somebody needs to do something about it. And it will be Oedipus. And, uh, well, yep. And Casey case he says, Idomeneus was my brother, Ithon, Ithon is my name, interesting thing about what Ithon means, it means blazing or shining, almost like it's obvious who Odysseus actually is, regardless of who he says he is. And now he starts to give the information, and recall this is all lie, and he's telling it to Penelope, and she's heard many lies before and she ostensibly should know something about her husband, but it's been 20 years and she doesn't think he's alive. So does she suspect that this man could be her husband or not? Again, we're confused. We're in it. We're staying perplexed. We're in a, we are in a moment of perplexion. Perplexity, excuse me. Once he says, uh, I was entertained- I entertained Odysseus uh, in Crete. He was on the way to Ilion, to Troy, and Idominius had already left, so it was my responsibility to extend Zinnia to this traveler. He knew how to say many false things that were like true things. I love that quote. It's like, he's, it's like he's tantalizing her. It's like he's tempting her to see him for what he really is. He knew how to say many false things that were like true saints. That's precisely what he's doing in this very moment. And so uh, <laughs> Penelope then breaks down into tears. And I always wonder whether that is the perfect response. She breaks into tears Because that's such an honest thing to say about Odysseus. This man seems to have actually seen Odysseus. She remembers, yes, he could tell stories. Or, if you think that she thinks that this is Odysseus, that is a very clever thing for her to do, too. As a teacher, I can tell you that one of the most effective strategies for getting me to give somebody extra time is to show up in front of me and to beg in tears that I give extra time. It's happened many times in my career, and sometimes I actually grant it. And In fact, I've had, uh, generally, ladies uh tell me after they were my students it's the best strategy possible uh teachers they always give into it and i think that's so funny you actually use that as a strategy that is so duplicitous and that is very very effective oh mr Mr. schmidt i was good at work but then the internet and life is bad and i'm like okay just calm down okay you can have five minutes or you can have a day or something i wonder if that's what penelope is doing here when she breaks down into tears if odysseus is her husband and he has some affection for her, what is he going to be tempted to do? He's going to be tempted to give up his disguise and comfort her. And yet again, he has to show this endurance. He's watching his wife, who he loves, cry right in front of him, just like when he saw Argos, his dog, right in front of him, and he wanted to comfort him before he died. And can he? No, because he's got a strategy, and he's got to stick to the tactics he put in place. Is she testing him he wants to comfort her but he must deny himself yet another test and so then penelope continues to test the truth of odysseus's story she recovers from her tears she asks several other good questions what was he wearing excellent question looking for details like that if he's just making up this story, how could he possibly know what Odysseus was wearing, especially if she gave him something special to wear? What sort of man was he? Well, he started answered that, answering that to some extent, but then also who followed him? Who was with him? Do you know their names as well? This is a fantastic way to expose somebody's lie. Ask for details. Don't tell them they're a liar. Just ask for additional details. Oh, you saw this person. What were they wearing that night? Who was with them? These are excellent uh, orienting questions. In any case, let's see if Odysseus has an answer. He he probably will, because he is Odysseus, so he should know what he was wearing. But it's been quite a bit of time, so maybe he's forgotten. He responds brilliantly, as you would expect. It's been a long time since I've seen Odysseus, he says. and You know, it's been about 20 years since before Odysseus went to Ilion. But, but I seem to recall he had a purple mantle on, that means a purple cloak, very regal, very beautiful color in ancient Greek. Um, and, and in fact, you can watch videos on how they used to produce the color purple. And he had this golden pin. Remember, the pin is what holds the two parts of a cloak together. It's like a clasp. And it's a very interesting pin. It's very remarkable. You would not forget it if you saw it. It has a hound holding down a fawn. That's a baby deer. Uh, and so it's, it's, that is itself a symbol for what Odysseus is, right? The hunter catching the prey. Um. Uh, the yeah well and yeah, the hunter catching the prey I think is exactly right and he says I love this I love this too he he says many of the women were it says looting here it should say looking at his tunic in admiration he adds in the the moment that he was so well dressed that the ladies like how he was dressed that the ladies like how Odysseus looks ladies like Odysseus is what he's saying and Penelope perhaps caused a little bit of jealousy or envy in her heart. He says, but that's only what I saw him in. He could have changed clothes from the time he left Ithaca to that time, but that's what I saw him in. And, well, you know, you don't see a lot of pins of hounds holding fawns down uh, these days or those. And so uh, this starts to add credence to his story. He he then says he had a herald with him. Euripides. Oh, Euribides. Throwback all the way to the first book of the Iliad. Remember, Talthyb- Talthybius and Euripides were sent to Take um, Briseis from Achilles, And remember, they were shivering and they thought he was going to kill them. And then he was nice to them. And he was like, I'm not angry at you, I'm angry at Agamemnon. Go ahead and take this lady. Um, and then all the events of the Iliad transpired. In any case, he's answered her questions very well. This is what he was wearing. This is a person that he was with. I know what I'm talking about. What happens? Penelope cries again. <laughs> Penelope cries and welcomes the stranger the entire time. Odysseus is probably thinking, gosh, how am I putting her through so much? Uh, one interesting note is that Odysseus will run into his father soon, and his father will be so pathetic that he can't even bear to maintain the lie. He'll start lying to him, and then his dad will start to cry, and that's just too much for him. So he can he can watch his wife cry a couple times. But his dad crying, it's just too pathetic. And what is it? Uh, I forget which movie it is. I think it's a Disney movie. It's a funny movie, but... Uh, uh, the quote is, is there anything sadder than watching an old man cry? At least for Odysseus, the answer is no. Uh, well, Penelope cries and welcomes the stranger, and even though he claims to have information on Odysseus, she says, well, there's no way that Odysseus will return. Uh, Odysseus then claims, well, he was in Thesprosia, which is fairly close to Ithaca, closer to the mainland Argos, and he is here now, because Phaedon, their king, told me, or him in this case. And still Penelope will not believe. Oh, you heard from some guy that he was there and is now here. I've heard from some guy that he was there and is now here many, many times over the last ten years or so. Um, and uh, that's just not, that doesn't give me a lot of assurance that he's really, really here. Uh, so the story starts to sound a little bit more like every story that she's heard. Uh, well, um, that's sort of where it ends for this moment. She's, she's very pleased that this man came and knew some things about Odysseus, and even though it caused her some sorrow, she appreciates uh, the fact that he's come so far to tell her what he has, and so uh, he requests a bath. But he requests, and this is a very interesting request, because I'm not sure uh, what he's thinking exactly. He requests an old lady. Well, when we hear an old lady's going to bathe him, who's it probably going to be who bathes him? Who's the only old lady we know? Eurycleia now it's sort of interesting Eurycleia can bathe him and Penelope is going to be very close to them when uh they're being bathed she's going to be in the room over she can hear what's happening essentially so I want you to keep that in mind during this intimate scene and again a scene of bathing and again a scene of a woman bathing a man recall we heard about Helen bathing Odysseus we've seen Odysseus bathe himself and refuse the nymph-like servants of Nausicaa. But now he asks for an old woman. The reason, he says, is so that she won't make fun of him. He says, your other serving women, they make fun of me." But here's something weird. Odysseus has a very, very distinguishing mark on him. If he pulls up his tunic a little, or rather his uh, sort of rags at this point, he's got a very demarcated scar on his knee. Sort of like if you read Harry Potter, Albus Numbledore has a scar on his knee. It's supposedly a map to the London Underground. Why wouldn't he, if he didn't want to expose himself, ask for a younger serving woman to bathe him? They would not remember the scar because they would be too young to. However, Eurycleia was his nurse. She knows him very well. She would definitely remember the scar on his knee. And yet, it is not clear that he thinks about this because he tries to hide the scar from her. And yet... This will be a misstep on Odysseus's part. Eurycleia, oh, I love this. This is a very emotional part. Now, and again, really tests our imagination. We're still wondering, to some extent, whether Penelope or anybody can recognize Odysseus. Well, when Eurycleia sees Ithon, he looks so pathetic that she bursts into tears because he's the same age as her master Odysseus would be. And he even, he even looks like Odysseus. She says, y- you look as tragic and pathetic and similar to my lord if he were still around. And Odysseus, I think, has the most brilliant response. He says, that's what everybody says. Everybody tells me that I look like Odysseus. And so it's like, can she th- see through the disguise? And if Eurycleia can see through the disguise, can Penelope, who knows odysseus perhaps even better than she but i suppose uh she might not know odysseus as well as Eurycleia. Eurycleia has known odysseus his entire life penelope uh she was won by odysseus in a foot race um after the choosing of helen by menelaus and then they uh you know they got married they had a child but then very soon after that odysseus had to leave for troy perhaps uh perhaps she does not have the strongest memory of him Hmm. then as i told you he tries to hide the scar on his knee uriclea here (coughs) wiping him down foot base in there now uriclea and this is a this is a very interesting narrative technique this is a this is putting an impasse in the action she sees the scar we expect her to freak out we expect a giant reaction and then boom flashback we have to pause uh and instead of getting what it is we want to see immediately we now have uh we now have uh, uh, to endure sort of a sub-story oh no are we running out of time in any case we'll have to finish this story later and it is the story of how Odysseus received his name as well as this scar